2: and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to
1: the Kudzu Vine
2: for August 20th, 2023. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Um, Tim, we knew was going to be off this week, and Catherine is not with us right now. But very fortunately, I had lined up a guest host for Tim, and she's with us. Uh, Welcome to the Kudzu Vine, Kathy Fredrickson.
3: Thank you so much. I am so glad to be here. I've been listening for quite some time now. Thank you.
2: Well, good deal. Well, Kathy, for our listeners that don't know, we some sure some do and some don't, you are the 12th Congressional uh, Democratic uh, Chair of Georgia. For those that don't know, uh, first you can tell us a little about yourself, your background in politics, and then tell folks where the 12th Congressional District is.
3: Absolutely. So, uh, my background in politics, uh, wow. Uh, I started getting active in politics back when Bill Clinton was running against, uh, 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 well, you remember Ross Perot, barely. But, uh, yeah, back when I lived in California, and, you know, there was a lot of change coming, and we really wanted to see that. And as I've moved about the country um Got involved in the Obama campaign when I was in Tampa, Florida, and uh, moved back to Georgia. And then, of course, was uh, active in the Hillary uh, for President campaign, as well as uh, Elizabeth Warren um, a couple of cycles ago. And found myself involved in Emanuel County politics here in uh, central Georgia, as a member of the Emanuel County Democratic Committee and really noticed what opportunities that we have available in our counties of the 12th that, you know, because we are mostly rural counties, we discovered that there was not a whole lot of folks out there helping, not a whole lot of folks getting involved because they didn't even know where to start. And uh, so I decided in late December of this past year to run for congressional district chair to try and bring Uh, the 12th district a little bit more forward as far as uh, technology goes and policy goes and our voters and getting active. And uh, much to my surprise, I actually got elected. And, you know, here we are. The 12th district is going to end up being a major player in this upcoming election. And I am very, very forward, looking forward to being a part of that.
2: Yes. Now, the 12th District, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, it doesn't cl- include any really big cities in Georgia. So tell our, our, our listeners some places or our, in relation to other places so they can kind of figure out which part of East Georgia that is.
3: Absolutely, yeah. So we actually do have one of uh, Georgia's larger cities. And so we ac- we encompass just north of Augusta down uh, south to Toombs County and uh, Vidalia, and then uh, we hit west towards Lawrence County and Dublin, and then we go east all the way out to, um, to Scrubbin County and almost, uh, we actually touched South Carolina in and, and quite a large swath of, of the state. So we are uh, 24 counties and uh, one of the larger congressional districts along with City 2 as well as uh, City 1. And have quite a few, um, quite a few counties that could really help Georgia change the narrative. So we're looking forward to doing that.
2: Yes, because um, I know that the Republicans are so good at, you know, cracking districts up, and Augusta is one of the places that they've done that, where they split it between I don't know how many districts, uh, maybe two, it maybe even as many as three, since it is the second largest, um, I guess, city in Georgia, all the Savannah. I think it's growing. Right. Um, and so also there's some rural counties that probably do vote Democratic. They're just maybe not necessarily big counties. What are some of the kind of highlights? Right.
3: So we have uh, one of our most um, consistently uh, Democratic-leaning counties is going to be Jefferson County. And in Jefferson County, that's going to be um, Louisville, which was Georgia's first official capital, as well as um, Rennes, Georgia. So um, they are a great resource for Democratic voters, as well as um, uh, Washington County. Washington County can really pull a lot of Democratic voters uh, if we can just get them more active, actually, at the voting booth, and that would be a really big change. But surprisingly enough, actually, Warren County. Warren County only has, you know, a couple thousand votes um, active right now, but when it comes to the Democratic uh, voters there, um, our current representative for the House, um, Rick Allen, he only won by less than half a percent. So we have a lot of opportunity. It's just going to be, you know, getting, um, getting these voters to the polls, right, getting them active. Yes.
2: Well, certainly so. Uh, before we get into our first uh, regular topic, um, Catherine, welcome to the show. Hello. Kathy's Thank here. you.
0: I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry I'm late.
2: Yes. Well, before we move on, we've got Kathy on the line with us, uh, 12th Congressional Chair. Would you like to ask her any questions about the 12th District and how things are going before we move on to our topics?
0: Well, since I missed the previous questions, is there anything that you'd like to add that we didn't ask you about, Kathy?
3: <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, Well, we, you know, uh, David pointed out how Augusta encompasses multiple different counties. And so uh, Augusta, you know, touches both Columbia and Richmond County, and the sway in between the two of them is night and day. It it is polar opposite. So Richmond County is our absolute strongest county when it comes to Democratic voters. You know, when it came to um, the last election, you know, the Democrats were up 32 points. But, you know, we've got to make sure that we are, are keeping that, that trend going. And then Columbia County just, you know, they were Republican plus 34. And um, even though we are making strides, it's going to be really about making sure that our Democrats that we have already have active are sharing the love, you know, like that old commercial in the this, in this 80s, I'm really dating myself here, where it's like, you know, you tell two friends and they tell two friends and, you know, hoping that we get the message across that the Democrats are a, a strong group of people with the right attitude and the right methodology to try and get things done in a way that is going to be um, sustainable for the long term, instead of just what's right now. So it's the, that is going to be the difference in the messaging for us. That sounds great. And, you know, like with all these
0: um, things with especially the Democratic Party in Georgia and in the South, it just takes a really long time. And, you know, I started working in um, politics in Fulton County like 20 years ago, and finally uh, across Georgia we're seeing some improvement. So we all have to remember that it's a
3: marathon.
0: Not a sprint. it is
3: <laughs> it really is, yeah, my first vote as an eighteen year old voter was actually cast in Cobb County, and you know that to see how Cobb has um changed oh. both in a positive way and a negative way, as we saw this week with the uh, board of education vote uh, yeah, well. yeah there's there's been, there's still a lot of work to do, yeah, exactly,
0: okay, thank you yeah. very much. We're so glad to have you on the show. Thank
2: yes you. well before we move on to the before I move on to the actual topics, um I, as an educator, I'll go ahead and tell you that lady's lawsuit probably just gained a lot of um traction this week um, for wrong Oh, absolutely that
3: would, just,
2: that would just be my guess. Um, well, let's go ahead before <laughs> I actually get into our first topic I, d- I did forget uh that our guest, Logan Phillips, is going to come on the show from Race to the W h. He's been on uh, this will probably be a third or fourth time at least. Been on the CUDSY Vine, so he's going to call in 20 after the hour um, here in just a minute. But until then, Georgia made some pretty big uh, political news this past week, or or I guess we'd say um, legal news, uh, if we're being exactly accurate. Um, Donald Trump was indicted uh, for his role in trying to circumvent uh, the election results of Georgia specifically, and what we already knew about how he tried to coerce. Brad Rassensperger, and, and others to just find tens of thousands of votes to um, sway the election to his favor. Not only was he indicted, I believe it was actually 18 individuals, including Rudy Giuliani, Jenna Ellis, mm-hmm. um, Sidney Powell. Um, if we listed them all, we'd run out of showtime. time. Um, Catherine, <laughs> what was your first thought on these charges that were brought this week?
0: I was, you know, I was apprehensive about whether anything would actually come of it. You know, I just, we've all gotten so jaded by everybody getting away with things. But, man, that Fanny uh, Willis is amazing. She had all her ducks in a row, and everything was right on. And uh, so I was really impressed with the um, way that they did it, the way that they've... uh, held strong without you know have resisted any any pressure from anyone uh so i was i mean i think all of us were up late watching msnbc and listening to the radio on whenever that was tuesday late monday um so i was really happy i mean let's see you know how we move forward and and whether we actually get a mugshot and a perp walk and all that stuff. So it was, it felt good to see some, uh, something happen around all this ridiculous and illegal um, malarkey that he's been up to. Yes.
2: My understanding (laughs) is Friday, he'll actually come into town and be, uh, you know, booked for these charges, what will happen after that. I do know this, that they said that um, if there is any, you know, courtroom proceedings, that Georgia law allows for them to be telecast. So it's the one of the, I guess, uh, four places and four courts he's been charged in that he could actually have um, a TV trial, if you will. And we know from so many other cases, nothing like this. I guess the Watergate um, testimony is the closest we really have to this, um, where it would be on TV. Um, Kathy, what are your initial thoughts on what happened in, in Atlanta uh, Court?
3: I I will admit that after everything that we've seen with these other indictments and whatnot, I was so surprised at. Please don't get me wrong. I was extremely pleased with, as well as in depth, that Bonnie Willis and and everything that they did went. These indictments feel different. I don't. I mean, I don't know if it's just me, but these feel like these have some some substance to them. And and I I am really looking forward to how this plays out. And I also appreciate. I feel like this is in a little bit of an accelerated timeline since we're looking at. Hopefully this is going to be going to, for, to trial before the, the, you know, when they select their, you know, who their candidate is going to be for the Republican Party. I just, like this is something that hopefully is going to actually have an impact. I'm not going to cross my, I'm not going to, you know, hold myself, hold my breath, but, you know, um, I have, I have high hopes.
2: Yeah, you mentioned that it feels different. I will say this. If there's a Vox article that really talks about all four cases, all four sets of charges, and how each are unique and different, which ones are more serious than others. And I think they list the um, uh, Fulton County charges as the most serious. And I think the fact that it, it, it actually gets more people involved showing how this was a conspiracy is a pretty big deal, too. I do have a lot
3: of questions
2: out of this. Go ahead.
3: I feel like the RICO charge. I feel like the way that the that Fannie Willis and and the Fulton County folks were able to position the RICO charges in relation to Trump and his organization going after representatives here in Georgia was was really well played and. Um the irony was not lost on me that they were using RICO charges against Rudy Giuliani. Yeah. And I just thought that, that was, was great. poetic.
0: <laughs> yeah, that was <laughs> precious. I love that. Yeah, and and I think
2: I also saw something about that too that some of the mob members uh found that ironic which they're not really the good guys either. Um so that that really, you know, that that to me was kind of immaterial. But this Vox article really laid out all the charges, and I think it's a good piece to kind of just understand what's at stake. Now, the questions I have are, you know, how does the Republican electorate relate to this? Do they, does it make them change their mind? And every bit of polling we've seen throughout the three other sets of charges, no. And then the polling we have so far is no. Now, I guess we've got to wait until after the arraignment. Everything sinks in a week or two. But if you know, Donald Trump just keeps rolling to this nomination, which he seems to be, um, what does that mean, uh, at least for that portion of it? And then we have the, the general election, and I saw a poll just this weekend, 44-44, a bunch undecided. Now, that poll got kind of goofy because, one, they put Car- uh, Cornell West in it, which was fine because he is an announced candidate for the Green Party. We can discuss that some other time. But another poll put in Taylor Swift. Um and you know that 's like i don 't think she 's running she 's on a stadium tour she may <laughs> she may be thirty five by the time uh, the election <laughs> rolls around, but whatever i mean that that 's just nonsense polls so but the fact that it're still forty four forty four without you know digging in the cross tabs that tells you that it really hasn 't changed a lot of the undecided persuadable types too, and so um Catherine, what do you think is going to change these voters Around either in their Primary electorate or the voters That can persuade either way uh, In the general
0: I I I don't Understand how you could Vote for someone With these kind of charges Against them uh, Especially since they're so, all related To elections I mean it's just kind of uh, Insane to think that you could Vote for someone but I don't know what changes their minds. Um, I think there may be some people who, like right now, just knowing that that he that that he's been indicted doesn't uh, persuade them. But as more evidence comes out and more, and if their trial is um, moves forward swiftly, then maybe that once they see all the evidence and hear more, they'll, they may change their minds. Or they may just say, well, I'm not going to vote for him because he can't. I mean, it'll be interesting to see what, what you know, I just read it. I saw a headline somewhere that, you know, some states might not let him be on the, on the ballot because of this. So I think there's a lot that can happen between now and the primary and the general that can have an impact on his support, but i disagree with that all you those, <laughs> I'm mystified <laughs> that all these people could vote for him. I mean, I'm just mystified, but well
3: the rural counties here you know what we're seeing rural counties is that there's nothing that is going to change these folks' minds. They feel like the information that they're being fed is showing them this is a, a you know a witch hunt that none of this stuff is substantiated and you know these are counties that are local to us where all this stuff really happened they still are not willing to say okay well is wearing no clothes and it is so incredibly frustrating point you know there, there's that uh the federalist article about the amendment and there's so much I want to ask about that. There's so much I want to learn about that that I need to – a little bit more of a deep dive into there because that can really affect things.
2: Yeah. Um, now, now, Kathy, uh, I guess during the um,
3: 2016
2: campaign, he could – you know, Donald Trump famously said, I could stand in the middle of Times Square and shoot someone, and it wouldn't cause me to lose any supporters or, or
0: – Exactly. You – great know,
2: little supporters or whatever – did he not tell us this? And I don't think I believed him, but now I'm beginning to believe him. What about you?
3: Exactly. I, I absolutely believe him. Here, you know, the counties that I visit, uh, we are still seeing Democratic committees that are meeting under, well, for, you know, to put it plainly, you know, under cloak of darkness in order to not allow their or not position their members in that they could be physically attacked, harmed, you know, called out, lose their jobs. And it is absolutely sanity to me that we are in 23 and we're still dealing with these things. And I've seen this before. If you guys um, know how you are about podcasts, obviously you're, you know, in it. But, you know, Rachel Maddow's podcast where she was talking about how I've already done this before, her podcast Ultra. You know, we're going back to the 1930s and the rise of Hitler them in the United States with, or using government, you know, they were using senators in their mailing accounts to be able to send out fascist papers. And, you know, we're basically seeing this now, but instead of using senators' accounts, it's instead using, yeah. And it's not just on the TV, but it's also on social media. They're not uh, turning the channel. They're not turning it off. Instead they're getting more engrossed into it. You know, it's it's like idiocracy is coming true and it's, it's <laughs> don't even know what to yeah. do. <laughs> I don't
2: I, I think the, the the media the media divide and the way we get we consume different media I think is a huge part of this. But right now let's go ahead and pivot to our guest. Welcome back into the Kudzuk Vine for you know, multiple times at this point.
1: Hey, how's it to going? Thanks race. so much for having me.
2: Logan Phillips. Hey, Logan. Um, yes, always great to have uh, you on. Uh, let me start off, Logan. So we were talking about a little about 2024, but let's back up. You actually have done a, uh, a projection on the Kentucky governor's race. Uh, tell us about your findings and kind of how you arrived at that
1: yeah well just one quick side note um, I've been listening I listened to the Ultra podcast too so it's also been on my mind and uh, you know I'll say one interesting takeaway that Rachel Maddow kind of focusing at the end of the podcast was whenever things would happen differently after January 6th of prosecutions because almost everyone involved um, in kind of aligning with the Nazis got away with their crimes and here we're seeing a very different way now the government's handling it so it does show some shift in like People used to be too big to prosecute. It's kind of interesting that that's changed. But anyway, my apologies for the aside. Uh, back on the uh, Kentucky governor's <laughs> face. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's uh, you know, I don't get asked about that. That specific type of question on the Rachel and I it's funny because I've listened to it again recently, so I couldn't help but pounce at the opportunity when it happened to come up. No problem. Absolutely
3: worth second lesson.
1: Yeah. Oh, it's really fantastic. So that's going to be the most competitive race of the year, um, almost certainly, barring things really going well for times in Mississippi. Um, and Andy Bashir's uh looking like he's in a good place. Now, this is Kentucky. It's one of the reddest states in the nation, so this is probably the type of race anyone should take for granted. Um, but I have him at a 72% chance of winning um, and on track to win by 4%. And, and that's coming from a few places. One, he has a clear five-point lead in the polls. Um, it has gotten closer, which doesn't surprise me. But it hasn't gotten much closer, and the race has kind of plateaued of late. Um, and second, you know, this is above all else because Andy Bashir is extremely popular. He has a 58% approval rating, but 38% disapproved. So he's winning a lot of Republicans. Well, for a Democrat, he's winning a lot of Republicans. And he appears to be doing pretty well with um, independents as well.
2: Yes, um, I actually saw something. I don't know how deep you get into it. But there's a county, Floyd County, that's not Lexington. It's not Louisville. It, it's a, more of a rural county. And it's the kind of county that supported Donald Trump twice. But it voted for Andy Bashir last time in 2019. And I don't know if there's any polling specifically of it. But they actually, his, the sheriff of that county endorsed Andy Bashir And they kind of expected to go for Andy Bashir again. And I'm sitting there going, I wish Floyd County, Georgia, would copy Floyd <laughs> County, Kentucky, at least in that respect. Is that a reason he's doing a little better? Because while it did not have any major cities, no New York's like you where you live, no Atlanta's where Catherine lives, it it ha- you have to do better in some smaller areas.
1: Yeah, Bashir isn't going to be able to win if he were running up on the normal margins that Democrats had in Kentucky. But, you know, we do see in these um, governor races that voters just handle it very differently than they do um, center house races where they're really thinking about the national party. So... I mean, perhaps that's why, you know, in your state, last year that Senate race was so close, even though when you asked people about their opinion Mm of Herschel Walker, people were pretty pretty low on him. Um, But they wanted, they were voting for, like, Mitch McConnell versus Schumer, the national brand. Um, But for the governor race, you know, you really feel every inch of that leadership um, and how it affects your life. And, you know, Kentuckians who are Republican know, okay, we have the check and balance of the state legislature, the state Senate. They can live with someone they think is a good leader, some of them anyway, um, and be willing to cross, cross over. So um, I don't have polling for specific areas, but, you know, if you, I, I do actually have this on my site. You can compare how this, the 2019 governor map looked to the 2020. And let's just say, like, all these places that are deep red, a lot of them are actually purple. Well, the light, the light red places turn to purple, and the deep red places turn to light red. Like Madison County, for example, Trump won it by 27%, and Bashir won it by 0.2%. So that's just like that's a massive difference um, with him. He's, he's like you're saying. We able to do much better in rural areas, do well in the suburbs, um, and keep up Democrat strength in the in other cities. Yes. Now
2: on the next question, I'm not. I, you can't give me a projection yet. Although you may have some stuff under the hood, you can share with us, or you can at least share your thinking why you didn't do it. We've got highly unpopular, scandal-ridden, little tater. Uh, Governor Reed and, and Mississippi running for re-election with all of these national scandals because it implicates sports figures like Brett Favre and the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, and he's running against Elvis Presley's cousin, the king of rock. Elvis Presley's cousin is the Democratic nominee. Why have you not had a pro- projection on this, and what might cause you to add a projection on this race?
1: Uh, what will cause me to add the projections when I finally finish, hopefully on Monday or Tuesday, my in-depth GOP primary live now cast that will pro- do a projection of every state and show how the presidential race looks in each one. And there's just so many weird rules that it's just gotten me a little behind. So I have my Mississippi projection ready. I've designed it. I just got to error check it. So I may have that even um, in the next week or two. And Louisiana wouldn't be far behind. Um, So, that being said, yes, I am doing that race. I don't think you're going to be happy about what I'm about to tell you. Sorry to say. Uh, But I have him on track to win by, like, 11%. And the reason is, and, you know, I honestly probably underrating him, Presley, but, you know, the polls haven't been there for him. It's Mrs. Hippie. He has not had the fundraising in comparison to Reeves. Um, And he, you know, it's... He has some experience, but he's not as experienced as, you know, usually when you have a guy who's like a former congressman or secretary of state or something, they have a little bit of a better shot. Um, but, you know, yeah, Reeves has a lot of problems. Um, polls early on showed him really unpopular. Recent polls have, you know, it really was that New York Times, Siena. I don't know if it was New York Times. Siena's a pollster they work with a lot. Um, I can't remember if New York Times is part of it or not. But Siena, who's I have an A-plus pollster, showed the race just not close at all. And so before that, I was giving him a one-in-five shot of an upset. But that's kind of changed the race. Now it's around 10%. So, you know, it could change. Maybe the polling is just off and the picture will clean up. But right now I think it's a bit of a, a long shot based off what I can currently see.
2: I understand, and thank you for the inside information. Well, we're going to go ahead, and I'm going to pass it to Catherine and Kathy for more questions about um, prognostications and projections you've got. And then I wanted to ask you about something we talked about about a year ago uh, when we had you on the show So I'm going to pass it
0: to Catherine. Hey, thanks for being on with us tonight. We really appreciate it. We always like your insight and wisdom. Um, I wanted to ask you about if you have any thoughts or, I mean, I know it's early to uh, really make any predictions, but what do you think these um, indictments, especially the Georgia indictments might do to to Trump's numbers and and uh, and do we think it's going to have any impact
1: uh, in the primary
0: yeah in the primary I
1: don't think it I don't think it will unless maybe he gets convicted or it's starting to look really likely to people I think it kind of hurts him in the primary because it turns the primary more and more into a referendum on Trump and Republicans will put positively about Trump at every time he comes up especially because you know it may not this isn't really how the American people view it, but for as a whole, you know, when you're including independents and Dems, but Republicans always feel that people are being unfair to him and targeting him, and so it just gets them kind of in that mindset. And so he'd probably be a little more beatable if this is more of a discussion of ideas. Um, but now it's become, a, are you with Trump or not Trump, with Trump? And then if not, you figure out who you want. Versus let's look at all the candidates. So I think it's really helped him there. Now in the general, you know, I think it's probably hurt him a little already, but I don't think that's going to matter as much today but i think it could have a big impact um next year you know for some reason pollsters up to this point they're not asking what i think is the most important question which is how would it change only a handful are like how would your vote change if you if he was convicted um but one person had asked that ipsos they didn't give a straight horse race question unfortunately but they asked um if trump was convicted of crime um would they vote for him 67 percent of voters said they would not vote for Trump if he is convicted. Now, that number is almost certainly high, but if that number is off by 15%, that's still pretty scary for Trump. Or let's say if it's off by 10, right? Because even if not all those guys vote for Biden, that's a lot of Republicans staying home. That's 45% of Republicans who said they wouldn't vote for him if that happens. Um, and a lot of those folks, you know, Biden would at least get 45%. So um, that would put Trump in a really bad place. Now, who knows if that's actually going to be true or what the situation is going to be down the road. I, I always have more faith in polls when um, we have which is just one saying it. But um, I think that's a real sign that of the potency of this. Um, if people feel he's been convicted fairly, um, those swing voters, I don't think they want to vote for someone that's in prison um, now. Who knows if he's going to actually be convicted, right? Uh, Our legal system definitely leans on the side of um, the person charged, especially if they have money to defend themselves. Um, And he will have, you know, a lot of money going there, well-funded and high-quality lawyers. Um, And he'll have his day in court to defend himself, and we'll see what happens. But I think if he is convicted, he's going to probably be in trouble.
0: Okay, great. Thank you. And uh, another question. Uh, What do you think about, uh, you know, the Senate... Uh, is really going to be tight this year with uh, close races in Ohio and other places. How do you think we look uh, right now? Do you think there's a chance for the Democrats to hold on to the Senate, or are we really kind of out of luck on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, you're right in that it's a tougher road. It's a tough map this year, Um, although they don't have to face running in midterm like they did last cycle. Um, But, you know, you got. To, we always got. I think anytime you hear a runaway narrative where people are telling you what's going to happen in the next election with high degrees of confidence, especially nationally, it's going to be a little skeptical. Um, yeah. I. Yeah. Right. I mean, that, we know that from last year. We know that from 2020. We know that from 2016. It's the kind of, people are. I mean, uh, even beyond politics, right? Like China's economy was going to surpass us easily, and now everyone's rethinking that, um, and a lot of it is pointing to the trends that already existed. It's just people get too cocky. They really do, um, which I try to remind myself so I don't become like that. But uh,
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, so you know, my model says Democrats have a 43% chance, um, which is much higher so than I think the cons- hard. Was-
0: The Democrats just what? have to work hard. We just have to get our voters out and make sure that – we're sending the right message and, you know, doing the work to get all the voters out. I mean, that's kind of – we can't rest on our laurels as we
1: sometimes do. Totally. Right? And I think, I think that's more true for states like Georgia, which I know doesn't have a race this year, Arizona, which does, Michigan, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, et cetera. For Ohio and Montana and good luck, Joe Manchin, West Virginia – Um, which were probably Democrats are probably going to lose that one. Um, They really have to do persuasion in addition to turnout, especially Montana. And, you know, they have a shot at that, though, because, you know, these are guys who really, really outperform their party. There's only one Democrat um, other than President Obama. Well, actually, even because President Obama wasn't running at this point, post 2012, I believe, that has won a statewide race. And that is Sherrod Brown. Um, And he probably has to win for Democrats to hold the Senate. Um, you know, actually, that's not necessarily true. There's, they basically, Democrats, if they lose West Virginia, which I think is highly likely, Democrats need to win two out of three races. Ohio, Montana, and Texas. And, you know, Ted Cruz is favored, but he only won by a few percentage points last time. Texas has shifted left since. So that's, Democrats have their best recruit of the cycle, Colin Allred running. Uh, former nfl player so I, I wouldn't count him out there i'd give him like a 28 percent chance there which is you know about what john also started at in my model in uh in 2020 at the very beginning of the of the year so that's definitely not a low enough number that you'd be counting him out
0: that sounds great i'm i'm encouraged by that and i, I absolutely agree with you that persuasion and um gotv are the key great thank you so much i'm going to pass it to kathy go ahead kathy
3: Thank you. I appreciate this because uh, I had a pre-planned question, but you brought up something that um, now I'm curious about because we already had Kyrsten Cinema independent and, you know, the rumors are that Joe Manchin is going to also flip to independent in order to be able to try and be more I don't know what he's doing. I've given up trying to figure this one out, but how how do they affect our chances of people well, to, able to flip the House or still get things done? Do you think that they are able to pull enough votes if that happens?
1: You know, I think it would be wise of Mansion to be an independent because right now, you know, it might be he should have done that earlier, but the polling for him is just, oof, it's not good. Uh, you know, against <laughs> – against I mean, so, so, you know, most of these races, right, like Republicans have been struggling with getting good candidates to run. That's still the case this year. You know, most of their recruits they've mm-hmm. been successful at are guys who have never run for office before, so that's not necessarily ideal. It's just better than some of the candidates. that aren't, like, Kerry Lakes or Mastrianos. Um, but, you know, Jim Justice in West Virginia is a huge exception. He's one of the best recruits of the cycle. He's a former Democrat, hyper-popular governor in West Virginia, and he's beating Mansion by 18 points, and he's probably going to be the nominee. So, Mansion has a shot if it's the other guy, a Congressman, who moved to Maryland from Maryland to West Virginia right before he started. But you know he's going to have to do what he did in the past, which is win independent voters. But West Virginia has gone from a swing state when he started out there that tilted a little red to one of the reddest states in the country. He has outperformed Dems by like forty points. That's not easy. That's why he's in such bad shape. Um, Now, on on the Arizona one, that one, you know, this is not going how I expected it to. I will admit I was wrong early on. Cinema's numbers had completely fallen off the map, right? She became an independent, and her numbers of Democrats are bad in the primary. I thought there was a little chance she was even going to run. But, you know, I still think that – I'm not saying she's going to run now, but now she's, like, actually in this race and – most interestingly, she's taking away a lot from Republicans, um, maybe even more from Republicans than uh, Democrats. That's what we're seeing so far in the polls. And so now we have a situation where this might actually be good for Democrats, which is stunning to me if there's a three-year race. I'm not <laughs> Because she's going to caucus a Democrat. So I think most Democrats out of the state probably would prefer Ruben and Gallego. But it, Gallego loses. The backup isn't Carrie Lake now. She's the nominee. Um, and she's likely to run. It's It might be Christian Cinema. So you might have a chance where, you know, maybe it's a 30, you know, my, my I'll give you, my forecast is not done, but I will tell you what it says today. Because um, I've never done a three-way race. And this is kind of back in the napkin map. I haven't tested it on anything historically, right? But today I give Ruben Gallego a 56% chance of winning. Christian um, Kristen Cinema twenty uh, five percent chance of winning and Carrie Lake a twenty percent chance. So that's not bad for an Arizona.
3: To have a third party candidate actually Democrats is something that we're not used to because we're used to someone's Green Party or whatnot swaying the voters of the real super progressive people, you know, taking away the votes that we need. And, you know, to have someone actually help us, that'd be amazing. I would approve. No question, really. With speaking of, you know, trying to win these races and so forth, you know, when it comes to Democratic House candidates, I know here in Georgia, the areas where it is difficult, how can we as Democrats help get more Democratic-leaning candidates elected to House based on What you know from the polling, what you know the issues are, or the messaging—any insight that you could give us that we should be sending to our counties to be able to help others, Terrible to say, but you know, make the right decision.
1: Yeah, I would say you know, for you especially, the biggest thing that would help is if if, you—if this racial gerrymandering case—I know this isn't really a helpful Uh, answer, but. Yes. Uh, affects Georgia, because I think it's interesting that, you know, along the Carl Rove strategy, right, as I think you guys all know, but if some viewers don't, um, Republicans just went gangbusters on gerrymandering to the point that they've lost the House in 2012 popular vote-wise by like 1% or 2%, but had one of the biggest leads um, in recent history um, in the majority. Um, and so Democrats have really upped gerrymandering which, you know, it's a shame that, because it hurts everyone when you do it, but, you know, they wanted to have a fair map, so it's a tough balance. Um, but now you might actually have a weird situation where Democrats start to benefit from gerrymandering because if enough of these southern states, like, southern states just can't gerrymander as effectively. And that gerrymander, again, for folks that don't know, that means changing the lines where all the House seats are to give one party an advantage um, to design in a way to will maximize it. You almost can't do that without hurting the representation of black voters. And the Supreme Court despite doing some decisions against the Voting Rights before, Act beforehand, just affirmed some of the provisions that say, hey, you can't do this in a way that disproportionately hurts black voters. So that just means that some of these states aren't going to be able to gerrymander well effectively, um, which could mean that, you know, these lines end up helping Democrats instead for the rest of the decade, especially if, it start, if those cases um, come up in Georgia and South Carolina. Um, now, to give you a better answer, right, like I only I say it like that because I feel like if you have races that are a little more competitive, you're just going to get better candidates. I think that's the part of the reason why Democrats might be a little scared to run is it's hard to win there.
3: No, you're, you're absolutely right, and that's, that's one of the issues that we've been seeing is that uh, while the candidates may be strong on messaging, they're not strong on name recognition, they're not strong on fundraising, you know, those are the two things that we need in order to be able to get these folks into Washington. And so, you know, the big push here in the 12th at least is to be able to try and get folks who are running for the house who, you know, may have run for a different position or may have a strong background in their local committees in order to be able to try and use that recognition, use that, you know, that failed run last time. Say, hey, I'm still here. I still have – this goal, I still have this want to be a public servant. You know, now we just have to be able to get them, you know, better fundraising in order to be able to afford put that messaging out there on a wider base. You know, because that's that's where a lot of our candidates are reaching out, especially in the rural areas, because not everybody's on Facebook, not everybody is subscribed to live television anymore. So the commercials do a whole lot of good. Been big issue here is to try and figure out exactly where to put the money that's going to be the most effective to be able to get that name recognition out there, get the platform out there, able to, you know, when they go into that that ballot box to be able to say, I know who that is, I want to vote for them.
1: Yeah, yeah, uh, I think you know, there's. He, you have to convince the constituency, I think, these days to the fundraise that either you're an exciting candidate that even if they think the race is a tough one, they're willing to to give to. I mean, Marcus Flowers was able to do that even if he wasn't able to compete cause I mean, that's probably the toughest race. That's one of, like, the 30 toughest races in the country. Um, but, you know, you, you're seeing Lucas Kuntz do that in Missouri, a Senate candidate taking on Josh Hawley. That's a really tough state to win, but because of January 6th and Kuntz's message, people are still giving to that. And the other one is if you people think it's a viable race, then the races donations are going to come because um, Democrats have just become really savvy as donors um, in the last few years. They're going to places like, hey, race to the White House like I run or, or 538, or other places to figure out what are the races that are most competitive and donating there. Um, and if you're able to do either one of those things. Um, then I think, you know, there's a lot of willingness for people to donate even from places outside of the state. Now, I think you'd rather get the money from your district, because that often comes with people starting to volunteer and get engaged, um, but, you know, to be honest, like, there's parts of the politics I feel like I got a great handle on. On this one, I feel pretty confident just from your personal experience, you're just going to be a lot more experienced at it than I am, because I haven't done that side of, um, of, of the political world yet.
3: Gotcha. Thank you yes. so much. I mean, there there's just uh, having someone who has insight outside of our local organizations can really be super helpful because, you know, we have a tendency to get tunnel vision because we're so used to doing things one way or we've got someone else who's interjecting and saying, hey, this is this is what you need to do. This is how you need to change things. And it may not be as helpful as as we want it to be. And having someone who has you know, again, that insight into the polling, into, you know, what has worked versus what hasn't worked is something that is invaluable. So I appreciate your insight, and thank you so much.
1: Yeah, I'll tell you what. Um, if you want to talk more about it, maybe these guys can give you my, give my number, and maybe I'll give you – you know, I'm sorry for the show. I wasn't able to come up with the best answer I would like right now, <laughs> but maybe I'll really come up with something better long-term. Oh,
2: Absolutely. So, thank so. you. I appreciate out. that. Yeah, we can figure that out. Yeah. Oh uh, Well, Logan – you mentioned Jesus, um, yes. You mentioned um, you know the, the way that Democrats tried to really push to maximize um, House seats after the last census and reapportionment, and New York, where you're, that area you live in, was one of the areas where they really pushed and, and lost some seats that typically they would have won. Kind of what's going on in New York, and how can some of those uh, seats be won back in the next election?
1: So I'll say that uh, when we first did the show, I was in New York, and then by coincidence I happened to be in New York the last time we talked for the weekend. My heart might still be in New York, but I'm now technically in D.C. But I I, I follow New York politics closely, Um, so I, I think Democrats are in a pretty good position to pick up some of these seats in New York. Um, and California. And that's kind of before we had these court cases on gerrymandering, um, which has made a little easier for them. That was really the clearest um, pathway. I don't have the numbers exactly right now, but basically if they just like do reasonably close in these races to how Joe Biden did in 2020, I mean, they could clean these up. And, you know, we didn't get a red wave in 2022 in the vast majority of the country. We did in a few places. We all know, most you know, that happened in Florida, you know, with Ron DeSantis and the House races and, and Rubio. It happened in California to a degree, and it happened big time in New York. It was like it was 2014 or 2018 on the D side there. Um, and that's why Democrats lost the House, um, was mainly because of the California and New York um, red wave. It probably it could have been like a D plus one, D plus two um, house result. Otherwise, so if they just under do a, a touch better here, like I can look at the numbers. I have my house forecast. I haven't updated it recently. It's not public yet, um, so these numbers aren't perfect because I don't have the challengers yet. Um, but you know, if I go through a few of these, um, there's there's one race uh, on Long Island, Anthony DeSposito. You know, I give Democrats a 65% chance. So that's tilt D. Um, without even knowing who the challenger is, and if they get a good one, that'll go up. Um, you know, they have a uh, a really good shot, slightly favored to beat Michael Lawler, who's a really good candidate, but he's running in a district that, you know, leans about 6% to the left of the nation. Um, Marcus Molinaro, also a good candidate for Republicans, but he's in a district that... Uh, it's slightly towards Democrats, ever so slight. Oh no, it's actually, the one closest It's like 0.1 towards Republicans, my bad. I have that as a straight down the middle toss-up. Either one could win it. Brandon Williams could also lose. So that's a lot, of, I mean, if you're not following New York, I understand the way I'm listing these names. It's a little hard to follow. But we're talking about four races right there, right? Two of which were Democrats are favored. Uh, two of which are toss-ups. They have a good year in New York. You know, that's picking up a big shift of what they, a big slice of um, what they need to win. Um, and, you know, you're in a very similar position in California as well.
2: Yes. Um, you you get went above and beyond on that question, but when we're talking about New York house races, there's one individual that just burst onto the scene with such a full resume, some people might even say um, just completely false, um, that won a house seat, George Santos. Uh, any prognostications oh, or suggestions hi, on him?
1: Yeah, you know why I missed him? Because I took him off my lineup. Uh, he is so unpopular that he will almost certainly lose the Republican primary, almost certainly. So if he doesn't lose the primary, that seat's done, but Republicans don't love that everything they told him was a lie. You know, I'll be, I remember looking at that race and thinking like, A, why aren't Democrats spending money here? It's competitive. Uh, I'm sure they wish they did, because they would have done some Apple research then. Um, but B, you know, his resume was so weird to me because... He was an immigrant who was, well, okay, you guys all know why his resume sounded weird because he had done a million different things that didn't make sense that one person could do, a lot of which was pretty progressive sounding things, and yet he was at the January 6th rally, and I'm like, how, does these, how do these two things go together? No one else who went to January 6th has done anything like this, um, but, you know, I, I, it was because it was all a lie, um, so it was kind of funny to see. Like it was that guy because, you know, I, don't, I have 435 of these. I don't follow every one of them intimately, um, but he really stood out. So so anyway, I have that district because it is a little leaning towards Biden. Um, I have Democrats with a 60% chance. I gave them a, I think I gave them a little bit of a boost here. Again, I haven't finalized this just because of the scandal that I think they're likely to do a little bit better because of that. That's not a done deal, but like there's often a price paid in the next cycle um, by the party that – you know, when you have something as flagrant as Santos. Um, so, you know, the Republicans are going to have to really distance themselves and cut a clean image and overperform to win, which could happen. I mean, it's a tough, it's a, it's a tight district that has been willing to split, you know, year to year. But I, I think Santos, pro- I think the district's probably going to be Dems to pick up. So that's five races, three of which they're favored in, um, two of which they have, you know, I still also consider toss-ups. Anymore. Yeah, it's
2: very interesting. Um, and I guess one more factor, if the Democrats take back the House, a New York State um, representative would have become Speaker, and Hakeem Jeffries, so that might be a little push that helps them as well. Um, well, let me go, move on to something besides politics. Well, last year when we had you on, um, we talked about your NFL prognostications and the prediction model you had. You were a little rough on the Falcons, and they exceeded it. I'm sure that's not the reason you're not doing it anymore. Just let our listeners know kind of maybe under the hood where you get views and where you don't and how that impacts what you show.
1: Yeah, you know, I took a lot of joy in my Falcons projection being wrong because I felt so guilty after talking to you. And uh, I was like, a, you know, I always like Georgia in sports, um, you know, the Braves. And, um because I was a, I'm a Yankees fan, not a Mets fan, so I can handle being liking the Braves. <laughs> but uh, you know, so so they did have a good year uh, and well above what I thought. I also criminal, I criminally underrated both our teams. They're probably the two biggest misses I had. That and the Giants. You know, overall the forecast did pretty well. It did about where Vegas was, just it had different reads than the Vegas odds did. Um, but you know, it's just a lot of work to do. It was. I'm so used to building these political forecasts that I can kind of do them. They take a lot of work, but like I just I just have it down. I've never done anything like the NFL or Mobile forecast that I ran and I didn't have time to put the same amount of effort because the viewers you know, I tried really hard to build a viewership on that. But um, you know, I get my viewers mostly from Google um, because Google had now views my site as having something called authority, right? That's how they measure which sites come up at the top of the list when you search something. They think I'm now pretty good at politics. They never bought that I was, new at, was, was competent in the sports side, you know, it takes years to build that up. Um, so I can get, you know, I was getting like 7 million views on the politics side and like a few hundred, like maybe a 2,000 on the sports side, but the sports side was taking 20% of my work so it just didn't make any sense for me to keep it up. Like, I, I, it would have been fun to, but it was just so hard and had so many bugs. I had to constantly just stop what I was doing and rededicate the day, the whole day to fixing it that I just couldn't keep it up. I wish I could because I, I would like to, but I just can't.
2: Yes, yeah. I understand. Uh, and I think our listeners, you told us a lot about how Google works in addition to a little bit of your site. Well, Logan, we have uh, thoroughly enjoyed you coming on, uh, really enjoy looking at the site and seeing the different uh, predictions you make. We definitely will have you on before the uh, 2024 election, maybe even twice. But before you leave our listeners, tell them where you can get you your site, and then if you post or write anywhere else, you can share it all.
1: Yeah, uh, so I'm on race com. Um, and if you just forget that at some point and you want to look this up maybe the name will stick in your mind just google like 2024 national polling 2024 senate forecasts, something like that and you'll find that it's usually pretty high up there in the top three or four for most of these things um and we're going to be you know we're projecting the senate already the house will be up probably in the next month um tons of stuff on the gop primary and the general election i'm tracking what the electoral college looks like based off all the state polls too Um, And eventually, like, basically the point of the site, right, is to help people understand politics and make all these incredibly complicated data points from polling and forecasts really accessible. So I spend the thousands of hours building these systems, and then I translate in a way to anyone who's listening to the show, because I think all your viewers are at least, you know, familiar to some degree of politics. It's meant for anyone, even if they're not that familiar, to make it easier for them to understand. And especially if someone likes to donate or volunteer, you know, really empower them to do it in places where it will matter the most. So all that's there. Um, I... I haven't been writing as much lately because I'm just – this GOP thing is taking me forever and building all these systems for next year is taking me forever. Um, I'm hoping to get back to writing some more articles and probably some more editorials, but I am starting a podcast in the next few weeks that will be posted on my site. Um, so if you want a little more, uh, you'll be able to hear that too soon.
2: Definitely so. Great to hear. Um, and just thanks again for coming on the show tonight.
1: Thank you so hey, much. It is always fun. Thank you.
2: Yes, sir. We'll be listening to your podcast, and have a good evening. Um, that Thanks was a lot. Logan Phillips of Race RaceWH. Uh, just really good information. He kind of tells you the why behind a lot of his um, projections, which I think is very valuable. Uh, we got time for one more quick topic, and Kathy, since you're with us this week, I'm going to go to you first on this. Uh, one of the more interesting stories, I think, in the past week or two regarding the Republican primary is how – Vivek or Vivek Rasaswamy has kind of like maybe tied and in some polls even overtaken Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Um, What do you make of this political novice surpassing uh, one of the more famous Republican governors in the country?
3: Well, as as we've seen before, you know – all about the flash, right? It's all about the right now. And because of the uh, rap he did on the stage, he's got, uh, he's got folks paying attention. And DeSantis is, you know, been doing this a little bit longer. And so he's got uh, more time under his belt, under the scrutiny. And, you know, folks are being able to find, you know, the, the smoke behind the mirror. I have a feeling it's going to do the same thing with uh, Ramaswamy just because of the fact that how many times can you rap on stage, be fresh? You know, they're they're looking for that viral moment. They are trying to make sure that, you know, there's TikTokable content there and you can't control how that goes. And I have a feeling that he's going to get into the background fairly quickly.
2: Yes, uh, in the past, the Republicans have had the flavor of the moment. Um, Herman Cain, a few cycles comes to mind, um, Ben Carson, um, Michelle Bachman, and, and many others that will float up and then push down. Um, Catherine, I know in recent weeks he said such outlandish things that we should bomb Mexico, even if the Mexican government doesn't want us to, to go after the drug lords. Um, also, he uh, said that... Voters under 25 should lose their voting privileges unless they're serving in the military or first responders, or I think there's another, um, you know, caveat, probably a blood oath that they'll vote Republican. Um, But but really outlandish statements, that second one's obviously not in any way constitutional. Do you think those kind of statements are what's getting him um, this rise in the polls?
0: I think that could be some of it. I think – Um, while he isn't really an alternative to um, former President Trump, I think that people are looking for an alternative, some people. And as I said before, Ron DeSantis really isn't. He's like the big K-Cola to Donald Trump's Coca-Cola. Whereas uh, I'm not going to be able to pronounce his name. Uh, He is uh, a little bit different, Um, uh, kind of crazy. I mean, those – those recent statements have been, you know, outrageous, very provocative. And I think that does draw attention and makes people think, oh, well, that's a good point. Like, why do they, all these young people get to vote? Like, like because they do, because they're legal adults and all those r- reasons that you and I understand. Uh, but I, I do think some of it is uh, in in counter to Trump.
2: Yeah. um, Kathy, I I want to ask you one last question on this. A lot of these folks are running, like Catherine said, to be the alternative to Donald Trump. Uh, I think um, yesterday at Eric Erickson's event, Ramaswamy said that he would, on day one, pardon Donald Trump. Now, not that that was like wanting he was going to take big votes away from Donald Trump by saying that. I think he truly may be one of the candidates that's running to be – Donald Trump's vice president. Uh, do you think that might be the case with um, Rasa
3: Swamy? Oh, that's that's the case with so many of them. I mean, look at uh, you know Marjorie Taylor Greene, who's trying to you know be the end to be the, the vice president. And I'm willing to bet that these candidates who are not willing to stand up to Trump—that's that's what their goal is. I'm willing to bet that actually you know, DeSantis as well, because I don't know if you guys saw, I'm going to assume you have, earlier this week when they leaked his political strategy when it comes to the debate is to basically back Donald Trump when it comes to this stuff. No one is willing to stand up to him because they they know what kind of political clout that he has with his avid base, his cult. And, you know, to be able to be aligned with him as his star Stuff in this rocket that probably you know, like explodes on the moon, but you know, with this kind of thing, I I think they're all willing to sell their souls in order to be able to be vice president. They feel like you know people aren't going to say no to him being a candidate.
2: Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the next few weeks. Uh, if you know, does Ron DeSantis stabilize or does he just get out of the race if he keeps getting passed up by? People have never won office like uh, Rasaswamy. Well, Kathy, uh, we thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. Leave our listeners before we all say bye. Um, I know you've got a website for the, um, you know, the twelfth district Democratic Dems. Anything else you want to share?
3: No, I just – I want people to understand that voting does matter. Your one vote does make a huge difference, as we've seen in all these recounts that we've had to endure over the last few years. But you can always get more information about the District uh, Democratic Committee by going to GA, like Georgia, Dems.com. If you guys need anything, if I can help you in any way, you know, reach out, and I would love to make sure that you have all the resources that you need.
2: Yes. Well, thank you so much for coming on. We're
3: thank you, Kathy. Next we-
2: yes, next week uh, we'll have our guest um, Sonia uh, Van Meter to come in for Texas, and Tim's plan on being back in the state for the show. Until then, been the Kudzu Vine.
0: Good night, y'all. Night, We are the leaders of that
1: first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the
3: longest...